You're listening to the Conversations Podcast, brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. Because the stronger we feel, the less we feel like we need a wall, right? So it's, you just think practically, you know, if you feel strong and prepared and there's a a noise outside, you know, then you're going to be willing to walk outside and check it out if you feel competent and able to handle yourself um, in a physical situation. Uh, if you don't, then man, you're going to stay behind the door and the walls of your house and stay locked inside there. It's it's the same way mentally and emotionally. The the more you feel confident in your ability to handle the pain and the stress and the anxiety that comes at you in life, then the more you're going to w- be willing to walk out past the walls. Welcome to the Conversations Podcast. I'm Taylor. Today, joined by two special guests. First is teaching pastor Sean Stover. Sean, thanks for being here. Good to be here, Taylor. And next is Paulina De La Fuente. Paulina, thanks for being here. It's good to be here. Awesome stuff. Well, Sean, open up with you. You had a great message this past Sunday about processing pain as we continue our Church That Heals series. So I always love asking the speaker, maybe some of the, or some of the things that kind of you were thinking about as you prepared for this message when it came to processing pain. Well, the message itself just brought back a lot of memories for me. I mean, my career professionally as a, a counselor. And so the privilege that I get in that role is to walk through pain with other people, um, try to create a, a safe enough environment for them to feel like they can be open and vulnerable um, to address the pain and the hurt and the wounds that have happened in their life. And so I can't help but do a lesson like that and just think of the stories, man, the hundreds, I don't know, I'm old now, maybe thousand plus, <laughs> some, I'm sure it's over a thousand uh, folks that just to correct the courage that it takes, you know, for somebody to come in and share their story and walk towards something that, you know, honestly, we spend most of our life running away from the, the pain and the hurt and the tragedies in our life. For the most part, we want to avoid those things and we want to try to get past them or get around them or get away from them. And, um, so yeah, I spent a lot of time thinking about the courageous people who actually came in and said, "We're gonna we're gonna go toward that because if we go toward that pain, um, maybe we can find healing on the other side of it." Mm, that's good. That's good. And right away, kind of you opened up your message talking about kind of three areas that pain can come from. So I was gonna just uh, catch everyone up to speed on that, which is first is a fallen world that is less than perfect. Second is the hurtful people around you, and three is your own poor choices. What's uh, important about kind of even just differentiating between those three as it comes to kind of processing pain? Well, the first thing for me is the realization that we attribute a lot of things to God that really God didn't do to us. You know, I mean, I think that robs a lot of folks when they're hurting of their faith, which is the very thing that would get them through the pain that they're feeling is they start to blame God for what's going on. It's like, well, why would God do this to me? Why would why would I get cancer? Or why would my mom die at a young age? Or why would God allow that person to abuse me um, when I was in foster care, whatever the case may be? So the, the first reason to look at those sources of pain is to realize that God's probably not the source of your pain. The reality is God created this world and he gave us choice. And by giving us choice, we make bad choices sometimes. And by far, I would say the majority of the hurt and deep significant wounds that last a long time in people's lives, um, when they come see me, is from other people. 
in their life and the poor choices other people have made to somehow traumatize them, hurt them, wound them, um, abuse them, neglect them, you know, say things that were inappropriate to them or hurtful to them over and over consistently. And so the first reason to just identify those three sources was to say, hey, look, there's a lot of reasons that we have pain and a lot of places pain come from, but let's not automatically attribute that to God. Let's attribute it to where it ought to be because you know, diagnosing a problem is half the half the way to to solving it, and so it's kind of like let's first start by just saying where is your pain coming from? And it's not always other people. That was one of the three sources, but the world itself. I mean, we live in a world that's less than perfect, and yeah. so natural disaster is going to happen, calamity is going to happen, floods going to happen. Um, you know, disease is going to happen, loss is going to happen because this isn't our home. This isn't what we were designed for. You know, when we go to another country to visit, we shouldn't expect everything to be just like it is here in our hometown because it's another place and different things and different culture. And that's what we live in a different culture than we were designed for. We were designed to be with the Lord in heaven. And so in perfect community, um, so the world is a major source. And then golly, sadly, we we make our own wounds and hurts a lot of times with our bad choices. Um, so yeah, those sources, I think are just important to keep in mind that we need to figure out where our pain's coming from or where the initial cause was. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Pauline, I'd love to bring you in for this next question about just uh, boundaries versus walls. We talked about it a little bit on the podcast last week, but Sean, you kind of um, just kind of even just stressed kind of the, the differences between the two. And I loved kind of just the very practical breakdowns you did. So so maybe when it comes to pain, because all of this is kind of woven in, whether it's relational connectedness and boundaries and all that. So so why is it important for us just when it comes to pain for us uh, to have that that separate separation between walls and boundaries? I think the biggest reason is because um, if you don't distinguish between the two, what what may start out as a boundary becomes a wall and then you're disconnected. And in that disconnected place, you're isolated. And in an isolated place, it's really impossible to get the healing that you're needing because by far the majority of our healing comes from relational connection, whether that be from a mentor or a prayer partner or someone who is a best friend or a community group. I mean, healing is going to come from being connected to people and walls, by definition, prevent people from getting to you. They could bring the love and healing and comfort that you need in the moment. I can only imagine, Paulina, working as much as you do with college students. You see this, right? Probably people that use walls to push people away. Yeah, totally. And honestly, I don't need to see them because I see me and how I have lived a lot of my life. I think something I did get to talk with uh, one of the college community groups last night that we, a lot of times the reason we put up walls and instead of boundaries is to be free from something that's painful. And I think what I've found is that when I do that and put up walls and not healthy boundaries, I end up being enslaved to different things like unforgiveness, like bitterness, like being isolated. And it's funny how what I want is to be free from pain, you know, and what I get is just to be less free from different sources. So I think that's what I've been thinking about this week is that that really is, that's something that I don't want to do. And I know that I can do and have done, but I think figuring that out and hearing that after we talked about boundaries has been really helpful. That's a powerful insight, the realization that yeah, the walls themselves don't actually create freedom. They create a prison. Mm. 
and they trap you in there and uh, they tie you to things maybe that you wouldn't even want to be like unforgiveness. Mm. Um, And then I see it even stepping out past that where people, because they're walled off and alone, then they turn to other things to cope with what Mm. they're feeling. So they turn to pornography or they turn to alcohol or they turn to something else inappropriate um, because they're just lonely and their pain is still there with them. Maybe they've isolated themselves from the people that were hurting them before or the memories that were hurting them before, but um, they're not dealing with it. And mm-hmm. so they find some substitute to try to help them feel better in the moment. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really good. And I just was even sharing uh, in my community group last night just how my tendency is... Uh, to go to walls just out of a sense of if I've been hurt by someone, I my my flesh and my immediate reaction is to say, okay, how do I prevent that from happening again? Like I've been caught in a compromised situation. I don't like this feeling. I don't like being hurt. And so immediately, you know, um, they were laughing because I was like, instead of fight or flight, I kind of do fortify, which is you know another F word as far as to just kind of <laughs> like separate myself. Uh, so how do we how do we avoid? I want to ask both of you all this, but how do we avoid the natural tendency to go towards walls? And I know just because regardless of the source of pain, kind of what's what's kind of, what would y'all say as far as in y'all's practical application of this, do you kind of find yourself going to um, boundaries or just even preventing walls in general? What do you think, Pauline? You were just talking about some insights you've had about yourself, so. Can you repeat your question? Yes. So how do you avoid going straight to the wall building mentality? And so instead of just trying to uh, respond out of hurt by distance and isolation, how do you kind of practically fight against those tendencies and kind of go towards healing? Yeah. While she's she's thinking about that, because I kind of put her on the spot, I'll tell you that um, when I'm working with people that have built significant walls, what I tend to go to first with them is uh, try to help strengthen them individually because the stronger we feel, the less we feel like we need a wall, right? So it's, you just think practically, you know, if you feel strong and prepared and there's a a noise outside, you you know, then you're going to be willing to walk outside and check it out if you feel competent and able to handle yourself um, in a physical situation. Uh, if you don't, then man, you're going to stay behind the door and the walls of your house and stay locked inside there. It's it's the same way mentally and emotionally. The the more you feel confident in your ability to handle the pain and the stress and the anxiety that comes at you in life, then the more you're going to w- be willing to walk out past the walls. So I'd often tell people that I'm working with, I'm like, hey, hey, let's don't even mess with the wall here for a little bit. Let's just talk about you and what health looks like for you. Mm-hmm. Because the healthier you get and the, the prettier the garden we build behind the wall, then the more you want to show that off to the rest of the world and take some of that fortification down and some of those bricks down in the wall. So it's things like, hey, let's let's take good care of yourself. You know, what do we need to be doing emotionally to make you feel better? What do we need to talk about or journal or process from a feeling standpoint? And, you know, mentally, what are some of those thoughts that we need to confront or take captive that are trying to convince you that you're less than you are, that you don't have what it takes? And then, you know, physically, how can we be taking care of ourselves and getting the rest we need and eating the right things um, to be healthier? And then spiritually, you know, where can you be connecting to the Lord and what scripture do we need to be memorizing or processing? You know, we put all that together and then we start to gain confidence in ourselves. And it's like, well, man, that wall is not that necessary because I feel better about who I am now. I feel stronger as a person to take on whatever the world or the enemy or people's bad choices throw at me. Mm. 
Yeah, I think what I was thinking about was that it is, it, walls can feel like uh, they give you control where you don't have any. And I think going along with what you're saying, I think that that would be, for me, it's figuring out how am I, what's my like plan on avoiding, well, really can't avoid pain. So my thinking is already flawed, but really like in your situation, Taylor, like what, that you were talking about, how do I avoid that from happening again? I think I automatically want to take control and it feels like a wall is the easiest way to get there. And obviously that's not what God has and what he wants for us. And so for me, it's also placing, I guess, looking at where the control, the need is to control, you know, and that there's, yeah, that God, the boundaries part is also a hand in hand with trusting God, you Mm -hmm. know, and also feeling strong and secure. That makes a lot of sense what you said. Yeah. And being able to rest in the knowledge that ultimately he is in control, Mm -hmm. right? So part of that building yourself up is growing your faith to the point where you trust in a God who's bigger than you and bigger than any wall that Mm -hmm. you could create and say, I may not have control over the situation and bad things may happen, but I know a God who's gonna walk through anything Mm -hmm. with me and be there to comfort me. God and walls is interesting too. I don't know, I've studied that a little bit. And you know, it actually says in Revelations, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. Mm-hmm. And and he's, we use that in kind of evangelism, you know, but the reality is he's writing that letter to people who already know the Lord. And I think it's fitting for this conversation because I think sometimes we can even build walls that wall God out. Mm-hmm. And God, he could, he could obviously tear the wall down or climb through it, but he's like, hey, I'm gonna stand right here and I'm knocking because I, I, I know you know me as savior, but I want to be your Lord. I want to be your comforter. I want to be your healer. And uh, we sometimes wall him out. While we think we're just walling people out, walls are kind of indiscriminate. It's Mm -hmm. hard to build a wall and say, I'm only walling out that person over there because they're hurtful. No, when you build a wall, it really, it walls everybody out to some extent and even the Lord. And that's what's dangerous about them is, man, we don't want to miss out in protecting ourselves or controlling our environment. We don't want to miss out on the healing and the comfort that only God himself can give us. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where that spiritual connection, even in the darkest times, is so critical. Or having people around you to remind you what Jesus looks like and how he would want to treat you in the hard times is, is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good. And something that both of y'all just alluded to that I think uh, has been helpful for me is just even kind of um, just analyzing kind of my responses and reactions to things and kind of whittling it down to the insecurities that I often find and what both of y'all said as far as just reminding yourselves of truth and who you are in Christ. Because ultimately, whether it's my desire to control or my desire or my, you know, my fear of uncertainty, all that whittles down to me thinking, you know, being out of sync with who God says I am. And so it sounds super churchy, but literally just like taking, for me, it practically looked like just asking why I'm feeling or reacting a certain way, just each and every little thing, like, well, why, why am I worried about that? Or why, why is that bothering me or why? And just, and each one it's like, well, because I feel inadequate or I feel like I uh, can't do anything right. Or, you know, just slowly begin. And then in that time, being able to then kind of remind myself of truth of who God is. And Sean, like you said, ultimately it comes down to faith. And it's like, okay, not I, I can't do it. I can't have faith in myself because clearly that didn't work out when I got myself in the situation. But realizing faith in God is what it ultimately comes down to. Absolutely. 
Do you mind if I share something that we go for? We're it. with this group of psych- psychologists, and then we brought in these uh, neuroscientists to talk about brain chemistry, and we're trying to help people create a change process for their behavior. And uh, we came up with these four steps, and they tested them over time, and um, they created a whole brand of um, counseling therapy called Restoration Therapy out of that, and they teach it at Fuller Theological Seminary now. But the four steps are these. If you're if you're behaving in a way, kind of like Paul says in that Romans chapter, I'm doing the very things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do. If you if you catch yourself there sometimes, this four-step process is really helpful. And, and, and the first step is to just identify what I'm feeling. So you just said those insecurities. So like, man, I'm feeling out of control right now, or I'm feeling scared of the uncertainty ahead, or I feel like I don't have what it takes uh, I feel like I'm a failure, feel, yeah. whatever that feeling is. So step one is just I, I label the feeling and, and you have to say it out loud. This is where the neuroscience comes in. There's something about when you verbalize something that's different than if you just think it. When you verbalize it, it moves it to a different side of your brain. Way too advanced for me to understand. Um, but it makes sense that speech is in a different part of your mind than thought is. And so you speak it out loud. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm even just to yourself, I mean, in your car, wherever you are. But the first step is, look, I... I'm feeling scared and uncertain, or I'm feeling out of control. And the second step is to say what you normally do when you feel that. So I'm feeling scared and out of control, and normally I build walls, and I just start pushing people away when I feel this. And that's step two, just label what you normally do. Or I'm feeling scared and out of control, and normally... You know, I get on my computer and I just game out for four hours or, you know what, I I go look at some porn or I go drink with friends when I feel this. That's what I normally do. Uh, The third step is to remind yourself of the truth. And so it's simply to say, you know what, I may not be in control, but I know God is in control. Um, I know that he's equipped me with what it takes to handle a situation. You know, I know that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, I know that I'll never be forsaken or abandoned. You know, whatever the truth is that you need to remind yourself of in that moment is step three. And then step four is that you say, in in light of that truth, what I'm going to do in this moment is I'm going to call a friend that I know will hold me accountable, or I'm going to, you know, go to the prayer ministry team and ask them to pray for me, or I'm going to, you know, just go spend some time reading in Proverbs, whatever the case may be. But that four-step process, you know, what am I feeling? What do I normally do when I feel this way? What's the truth? Mm-hmm. And what do I, what am, what am I going to do different this time? We walk people through those four steps and help them and in, in do that. And it's amazing. The results that we saw in change behavior over short periods of time, I don't know all the ins and outs of it. Some of it's just that we do so much unconsciously that we don't, when we're not thinking about it, you know, we just naturally, something hits us. We don't really pay attention to it, but it causes us to go do something we don't want to do. And you bring all that to conscious and it starts to feel different. You bring the Holy Spirit and God in the process as your counselor. Um, You capitalize on how the brain is wired. and, And those four steps really do help people if you want to change a behavior through hurt. That's good. That's that's really good stuff. And thankfully, you can rewind because you're listening to podcasts. So if you miss one of those four, you can, <laughs> I might need to listen to that two or three times again. But no, that's really good, Sean. I appreciate you sharing that. I have one question that I want to end on for both of y'all and kind of the... Kind of one of the big takeaways on Sunday was this idea that processing our pain requires a safe and supportive environment. And all three of us have been a part of safe and supportive environments. And so um, I think 
again, safe and supportive. That sounds good. And I think we may know and have an idea on what that looks like, but I'd love for both of y'all to kind of share some maybe just practical characteristics of a safe and supportive environment that you've experienced and that you've tried to instill in your community groups and just ministries in, in general. Yeah, I mean, one of the big words from the Henry Cloud in this past lesson was judgment. And so non-judgmental is a huge part of a safe, supportive environment, um, a place where people can just come and be flawed and fallen and be able to talk about that without being judged. Uh, I think that's a big part of a safe environment. Um, you know, hospitality, there are little things that Christina does to make environments feel warm and safe that I miss as a guy or I miss as Sean. I'm not going to say all guys miss it because I know some guys are really good at it, but I mean, just the way she can arrange an environment to make it feel safe and supportive and comfortable for people, free from distractions, that kind of thing. Um, I think that's part of you know what we're missing a little bit, even in the Zoom things mm-hmm. is that it's just hard to remove all the distractions. You know, somebody's, you're, you're doing your your community group and thank goodness we're doing them by Zoom and, and they're continuing on. But, uh, you know, kids are running by in the background or the dog's barking or somebody's ringing the doorbell. And there's just freedom from distraction is a big part of a, a safe environment as well. Confidentiality is mm-hmm. huge. You know, what we say in a group has, we, we have to know that it's going to stay in that group for mm-hmm. it to feel safe. So if I'm going to share my heart with people that I, I trust, they're in that circle of three or four, I need to know they're not going to go post that, tweet that, share that, gossip that, whatever the case may be. So yeah, non-judgment, hospitable environment, um, and then confidentiality. Those those are big ones, I think. Mm, I was going to say uh, confidentiality and acceptance. I think something I've seen with this series has been the verse in Ephesians that says, as each part does its work. And I think Mm -hmm. that is so when I think of the places that I, the people that I feel the most safe and supported with, it really is because at each part does its work, not to be perfect or pretend like we're something we're not, but just it's when somebody new comes into a community that's healthy and safe and supportive that needs healing, it's more natural when that group is overflowing with healedness, you know, mm-hmm. having been yeah. healed and continuing to be in that process. And I think that's a big relief when you get to walk into communities like that, that just aren't needing, you know, needy with each other, but also allow themselves to be in need in front mm-hmm. of each other. Yeah. Um, I think that that's something that makes me feel really safe and supported by people. And just it really is happening even as we do this series. That's what gets me really excited. Mm-hmm. I know that I've gotten to share with people that aren't at Cyprus. And I know that other people have used these resources in these last few weeks. And it really is as we do our work to let God heal us. And then it just automatically overflows in safe and supportive community. Yeah, that's so right. I think um, what you just said, you know, kind of the, the the healedness of a group, you can sense it, right? Like when you're in a group with people who are not perfect, but who are kind of authentic and vulnerable and willing to openly look at their stuff, mm-hmm. you can, you sense that pretty quickly when you're with people versus people who have, you know, when you could same, you walk into a different group and there's walls and there's, you know, woundedness and there's leaking out stuff here and there. And it's just, it's like, I don't know that I feel safe in this place. And so we're not, we're not asking people to be perfect, just pursuing Mm -hmm. health. And you want to be on a train with people that are pursuing health. 
I think the last thing in this creating safety that I got out of the lessons so far from Henry Cloud Taylor is that uh, really safety means that we should show up with truth, grace, and time all kind of in our toolkit when we're ministering to somebody, yeah, yeah. which is different, I think, maybe than we hear out there sometimes. Like we, we might fall into the trap of thinking, well, a safe environment is one that's completely grace-filled, just solid grace. And the reality is there, there's a moment for truth. Like there, there are times when you need to bring truth to create safety for somebody. They might be saying something inappropriate, doing something inappropriate, or they may be going down a track in their life and we can accept them and grace them to death, but we might accept and grace them all the way down to death or sin or wherever it is that they're headed. Um, when, you know, the loving thing is definitely acceptance and grace, but at the right moment, time, that was the other element that he described, at the right time, you got to be able to say, hey, listen, I love you enough just to say that I don't think you're going gonna to like where that takes you. And I, I've seen the consequences of those behaviors. And um, there's another way. Let's just talk about the truth of what could happen if you were to change those. And so I think it's worth throwing in just here as we wrap up that really safe places are ones that balance time, grace, and truth well. All right. Hey, thanks everybody for listening to the Conversations podcast. If you have any questions that you want us to answer on the podcast, you can email us conversations at cypresscreekchurch.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. Thanks for being here again, everybody. It was awesome. That's it for this version of the podcast. We will see you guys next time.